Father in heaven, we are truly blessed that we can be here in your house in this day, and we're thankful, Lord, for the fellowship that we've been able to experience, thankful for the, the meal that we could share with one another, and just the, the time that we could rejoice being in your house. Lord, we pray that you'd speak to us from your word in this day, pray that you would make a message particular to each of our needs, and for each of our needs individually and collectively as a body together, and Lord, mindful of those that can't be with us today, I pray that you'd speak to them and give them encouragement in their quiet place as well. And for it, Lord, we'll give you thanks for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Being in the kitchen this morning, uh, the fan was on, so I could not hear the passage that Andrew was, was sharing with all of you. And I commented to the others, I said, well, I, you know, I don't normally have the morning service. I don't usually have Easter services because I'm usually in the kitchen. So I have no idea if this is the same passage or if this will be the same theme. And nicely, Renee commented, well, if it is, then it's something we need to hear twice anyways. So um, the passage that I'd like to have us turn to is Mark chapter 16. There are obviously a, a number of, you know, all of the Gospels recount uh, resurrection morning and so we have a lot of options to look at but for some reason this year I was I was really drawn to the passage here in Mark I think we'll just read we'll read the whole chapter and then maybe go back to some of the individual verses Mark 16 starting with verse 1 it says and when the Sabbath was passed Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they may come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, Who shall roll away a stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in long white garment. And they were affrighted. And he said unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen, he's not here. Behold the place where he, they laid him. But go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you unto Galilee. There shall ye see him, and he said unto, as he said unto you. And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man. For they were afraid. Now when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of which he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that, that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that he appeared, to another, in, appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. And they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat, and abraded them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world, and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these things, excuse me, and these signs, shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues, and they shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. 
So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere, and Jesus working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Read all of chapter 16. The th- As I was reading the different passages or the different accounts in the Gospels, this one stood out to me because of how, dare I say, like lacking in emotion it is. How it's almost cold. The other Gospels recount uh, so many details. Like there's the song that we have heard on WMHR since I was a kid, He's Alive. And it's the, the door, what did it say, the gates and doors were locked and all the whatevers were locked up tight. Um, and then I won't sing the whole thing. But it, it has this, this ominous sound of like that Jesus had been killed and now Peter was at the upper room and all of a sudden he hears a knock at the gate and Mary's at the gate. And it, it unfolds almost like, not a soap opera, but it unfolds very dramatically. And we know those passages from, from James or from uh, excuse me from John and from Luke that talk about the specifics of, of Peter running and John running up ahead and then going in and looking inside the tomb. And as I was reading in Mark today, I'm reading, and that's not there. But what was there was, was a different approach, or not approach, but a different focus, at least as I was, was seeing it. And this focus of being witnesses of Christ and receiving witnesses of Christ. If, just keep that in the back of your mind as you're, as you're thinking about this. How, how were the witnesses of Christ's resurrection received and what did they do? In chapter 15, at the end of chapter 15, we're left with Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, beheld where he was laid. I imagine that they stood there looking at this tomb that that had now been closed up tight. As Dad had mentioned on Friday night, there was fear from the Jews that his body was going to be stolen by the disciples. So there's a guard placed there. We also don't read about the guard in this passage, but a guard has been placed there. This giant stone has been rolled in front. And I imagine these ladies are sitting there going, you know, we didn't even get a chance to really prepare him for burial. Like we had to rush through this because we've got to follow all the rules of Sabbath and the sun is going down. We've got to take care of this project, get him all wrapped up and and prepared. We don't even have time to do that. And so it says when the Sabbath was passed, I imagine that was kind of an ominous or a stressful Sabbath for them as they sat with their spices and all of their preparation materials, I don't know what else to call them, sat waiting for the sun to go down. Now the Sabbath has ended at sundown, but now it's dark, so we still can't go. So on the next morning, it says that these ladies brought sweet spices that they may come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, I'd imagine first light, the first day of the week, they came to the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And it says, they said among themselves, who will roll away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? There was a guard standing there. There was, there was to be a guard stopping anyone from doing anything to this body. And yet they still went. 
I don't know if their expectation was that the guard was going to just say, oh, yeah, I yeah, know, come on in, do, finish up what you started on, uh, on Thursday or Friday, however it lays out. But they're asking among themselves, How, what are we going to do? And they, they get to the, to the tomb, and they enter the sepulcher. This is the part that, you know, you, you walk up, you're expecting a guard, you're not sure how you're going to roll this giant stone away, and when you get there, the door's open. The stone is rolled away. I marvel at the faith of these ladies, or the strength, the lack of fear, the bravery because it says they entered into the sepulcher. They had to go in. It, the, I always talk about the felt boards that we have in the Sunday school wing. The felt board is wrong. Or at least, well, my Sunday school teachers were wrong when they put the felt board together. Because the felt board always showed the angel on the outside of the stone. The, the angel was always sitting on top of this big stone outside the opening of the door or of the tomb. And I always imagined it that the angel was outside. I was like, oh, ladies, come on in. Come, please, please look and see. Come on inside here. Let's, I'll show you. The, here's the bed. And here are all of the neat, neatly folded linens that they had wrapped him in. But no, these ladies went into the tomb. There wasn't anybody there. It says that the angel, they went into the sepulcher. And there they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in long white garment. And they were affrighted. I would say that that's a reasonable response. And this angel says to them, You seek Jesus of Nazareth. I know why you're here. You, you seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He's risen. He's not here. Behold, the place where they laid him. That, that's the spot where he was. He doesn't give them time. To, the angel doesn't give time for them to digest this, to see what has happened he doesn't even, he tells them that he's risen but he doesn't give any explanation of that he doesn't say he is risen remember he told you that was going to happen remember he, he he doesn't give any exposition or um clarification on on what that what what he means what do you mean he's risen where is he behold the place we laid him but go your way, tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. There ye shall see him as he said unto you. The angel says, all right, listen, he's not here. This is where they laid him. He's alive. Go tell the disciples and Peter. I, I think it's interesting that this is the only passage that recalls it this way. This is also the gospel that most likely Peter shared with Mark, with John Mark, the accounts of, uh, of the gospel. So, why Peter was called out specifically, why it was the disciples and Peter, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure, but it just was interesting that he says, go and tell the disciples and Peter that he's gone on before you, that he's going to meet you in Galilee just like he said he was, or just like he said he would. And these ladies, they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. And this is where that song I referenced comes to mind again, where 
and, and reading the other Gospels. We know that they, they went to the tomb, the ladies went that morning, and it, when they saw the angel and, and saw that Jesus was not there, then they ran to Peter and John to tell them what had happened. And that those two disciples then come and make this experience as well. But Mark records that they didn't tell anybody else. It says that they didn't say anything to any man, for they were afraid. Growing up, I was always curious about that. That seemed unreasonable to me. You're making this miraculous experience where you're told Jesus is alive, and yet you're afraid. Why were they always so afraid? What were they afraid of? I don't think we appreciate enough the environment in which they lived. I don't think I, I appreciated at that point in my life the, the fact that the persecution that they, they felt, not just from the Romans, but that they felt from the Jews. Anybody that believed in Christ, anybody that was a follower of him, was at risk. And at great risk. And it was almost intentional the way that Jesus put them at risk. Put them in conflicting places. When he said that he was going to set father against son and mother against daughter, and that he was going to bring conflict to this world, I don't think anybody really appreciated in the moment what that meant until they started seeing the persecution unfold around them. Jesus had just been killed. They expected that that was going to happen to anybody else that would, would be his follower. Why would they not? So this fear that they had, this fear of, of sharing, sharing what they had heard and what they had seen, the older I get, the more I feel like I understand it. And as we'll talk about in a second, I think the more I realize that that same fear exists in our lives today. Verse 9 continues, When Jesus was risen early the first day, this is where we get into like an accounting of of his revelation or his revealing himself to these two different individuals and the response that those witnesses get. First, when Jesus was risen early in the first day of the week, he appeared first unto Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast out seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After Mary, probably one of the closest followers of Christ, has this moment of revelation and seeing Jesus in the garden, goes and tells the disciples. Goes and tells, I read that to say that she went and told all the disciples. And they were afraid and didn't believe. You wonder if she had to say, don't you understand? No, this, he, he cast seven devils out of me. Why would I make up such a thing? Why would I tell you a lie? Why? And then the response from some of these men was probably, well, if he was going to reveal himself to anybody, would it have been you? Really? Would it have been Mary? Why Mary? Why wouldn't it have been? You know, I bet Peter thought he, this, he should have been the one to have that revelation. Not casting dispersions on Peter necessarily, but... Verse 12, after that he appeared in another form to two of them. These would be the two on the road to Emmaus. And as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told unto the residue 
neither believe they them. Two more disciples have an experience with Jesus. I don't know if you talked about that Friday night. I don't remember if that, or if it was just from my reading it. But we remember that they're walking and they're, they're talking with this man. This, this traveler comes alongside them as they're walking down the road. And they're recounting all of the things that they had seen. They're recounting his crucifixion. They're re- recounting all of the, the persecution that he had felt. And, you know, they're walking out of town probably fleeing whatever they were fearful of, of the, the Jews coming after them or the, the Romans putting, putting down an insurrection. And they're talking among themselves and this, this traveler comes up and says, what are you talking about? Well, didn't you hear? How is it that you don't know what's going on? Where, are you, where were you, that you, didn't underst- that you didn't hear about this? And they tell the traveler what had just happened. And finally, they get to a place where they're going to to have a meal and and Jesus breaks bread. And immediately their eyes are opened and they see him and he he reveals himself to them. And as soon as they recognize him, he disappears. And what, do you remember the phrase that they, they say? Did not our hearts burn within us? Did not our hearts burn within us? Did, how, how, is it, how did we miss it? Didn't we recognize that this was Jesus with us? So they, having made that experience, then go talk to the rest of the disciples. We saw him. He, we, didn't, we didn't recognize him at first. He was, you know, he, not sure if he disguised himself or we had, you know, scales over our eyes, so to speak. But then he revealed himself to us and our hearts burned within us that we recognized him. But they believed not. Verse 14, After he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and abraded them of their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. When we read of this account, when we read of that experience in the upper room where Jesus comes and is in the midst of them. It says in the other Gospels that they had locked themselves in an upper room for fear of the Jews. For fear of what was going to come. As they're trying to figure out, okay, he's gone. The last time we were in an upper room together, we were sharing the Passover. And immediately after that, he is collected, tried, convicted, and crucified. Buried. What do we do now? We don't have him with us. Now, there's all these people coming that say, that say he's alive. Peter and John are saying, well, hey, listen, we were, we were at the tomb. It's empty. You know, we get hard on Thomas. Over the, the, guy, the poor guy got his own title, Doubting Thomas. In those same experiences, Thomas wanted to see and touch and prove that Christ was alive. I don't think that there's... I don't think that's any different than what the rest of the disciples were doing. He just got called out for it. It says that they all got yelled at. Jesus appeared unto them and upbraided them or reprimanded them because of their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. He said, why don't you believe the witnesses? 
Why didn't you believe the witnesses? Why, what is it about their story? What is it about their account that is so hard for you to believe? You've walked with me. You've talked with me. You've seen me. I've told you what was going to happen. And then these folks came and said, this happened. We saw it. And you don't believe it. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And these things shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues, and they shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. We know in the other Gospels, in Matthew it talks about Go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Um, last time I, I shared uh, the message here, we talked about some of the other spots. But in every case, the last direction that Jesus gave those disciples, or the direction he gave them in that upper room was, go out. Go do what I commanded you to do. I taught you these things. I showed you how to do all of this. I showed you what ministry looks like. Now you got to go do it. You had the experience with me. Now you have to go put the experience into action. And it's, it's hard, right? There was, I was thinking about this this week. I, uh, in my new position, in my, in my new company, I went from being the, one of the young guys to being one of the old guys real fast. Changed jobs and went from, I mean, I, had, I was 15 years with one company, and I was still one of the youngest guys in the room. I was one of the least experienced guys in the room. I switched companies, and now I am one of the most experienced guys in the room. And to go from the student to the teacher that quickly, is, it's kind of a weird feeling. But what's been neat is I, I get to work with a lot of young guys uh, coming right out of school. And there's a lot of things that they're teaching me, excuse me, software programs that we did not have at my old employer. And the new place is, is much more uh, cutting edge and has all of these different tracking softwares. And it's, it's great, but I'm having to rely on these guys to teach me some of those things. I didn't learn that in school. Some of these programs didn't even exist when I finished school. And so they're teaching me. But I cannot tell you how many times somebody comes to me, two, two of the young guys in particular that I'm working with, will come and will ask a question about, you know, in school they taught us to do this. You know, in school, this is how this thing gets built. And I have to explain to them, well, yeah, the school, yeah, you went to school in Utica. But Utica College, they're, we'll just use structural, uh, structural panels, for example. They're teaching you from a book that sells structural panels. We don't use those things. Like if you're in Texas, that's how you would build something. But we're not in Texas. We don't build with those components. And so what they're learning in school, what they have institutionally as, as knowledge given to them as to this is how everything is done, once it gets applied, the, the how-to in construction is completely different when you have to apply it. I'm, that's the case. That's why you do clinicals for medical uh, medical folks. That's why you do apprenticeships for anybody in the factory settings. And you've got to go and do the work, practice the work in, in place. And what I'm reading here from 
Jesus sharing with these disciples and his followers was, I've taught you what you need to know, but now you've got to go do it. You have to practice it. You have to exercise yourself in it. I heard an interesting conversation this week. Um, It was a podcast, but it was an interesting conversation between two individuals talking about the differences in, in religions and the differences in faith. And they were using it as a comparison... Some of you are smiling. You probably heard the same one. They were doing it as a comparison between Judaism and Christianity. But you could pretty much compare this to Christianity and any other mainstream religion. But Judaism, for example, says, in concept, do these things. Here are these rules. Do these things. Live this way. Walk this way. And by doing so, you will experience Christ or God. You will experience God. Your life in working through these things, working according to these details, will result or or will yield a result that is an experience with God. Christianity, on the other hand, says make an experience with God, have an experience with Christ, experience Christ's redemption in your life. And that will yield a life lived this way and exercising itself this way. Following these steps. Being obedient. As a result of our experience with Christ, we will be obedient to the direction He's given us. And the comment was made, though, there's a cautionary cautionary statement to that. Christianity in that case relies on some transcendent event, on our redemption, on our on peace with God. We rely on this momentary, I'm putting that in quotes, this momentary or instant, not instantaneous, I'll just say momentary and monumental experience with God that yields this set of obediences that we, we have toward him. But what happens so often, what happens to to any experience like that is sometimes the effect, slowly over time, the effect of that momentary and monumental experience fades a little bit. And so we have to rely on the, the effort, on the obedience to make another monumental experience with God. And as I was listening to that, I thought, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Why, why am, what, am I don't, what don't I like about that? I know, I know that that description is in many ways accurate. Because in many ways, that description represents the cycle of our lives. It, it represents the cycle of our, cycle of our lives in, as a kid in camp, right? We make this monumental, wonderful experience at camp where we feel so encouraged in our spiritual walk, and then we get slowly discouraged through the rest of the year, and then we go and charge ourselves back up at camp, and then we slowly, and maybe it's not just camp, but it's, it's those incremental moments. But what I, what I was thinking of and what I was convicted by was, my life is not called to be one monumental experience with God followed by a lot of obedience. It's to be a daily experience with God indwelling my heart. That when I wake up in the morning, it should be that monumental experience. The feeling and appreciating and thanking God for 
One, the fact that I've done nothing to earn this redemption, but that I'm going to live this day in obedience toward him, sharing the word as it's revealed to me, sharing of the hope that lies within me to anyone that I encounter. The, the description that Jesus was giving his disciples here of go into all the world and preach the gospel wasn't a, you've been saved, ready, go, and I'll catch up with you some other day. He said, I'm going to go with you too. I'm sending the comforter. For a while he was there with them and was describing what they should do and where they should go and, and reminding them of the teachings that he had given them. When we talked a couple weeks ago where he tells Peter, feed my sheep, explaining to him how he was going to need to to lead the church and direct the church. I think sometimes, not sometimes, all too often, in my life, and I believe in the lives of many believers, is we live our lives in fear of the outside, just like the disciples did. We live in fear of the outside, and as a result of that, we go into this protection mode. We go into this protection mode. We go into our own proverbial upstairs room, lock the door, and make sure that we're going to do everything right. Make sure that we have, we've, we've set up this set of rules and this set of directions, and we want to do all of these different things right. And we're afraid to open the door and to go out because we don't know what other influences are going to come. We haven't practiced this long enough and don't have enough experience living this life to be confident that we can interact with the world around us and to be able to do exactly what he said, to go out. I saw another uh, just blurb that, that really caught me. You know, with the, we have the, the who, where, what, why, who, what, Who, what, where, when, why, and how. And a lot of them were very specific. Jesus gave very clear direction on the the who. Go to all the world. That's the what and the where. The when is pretty obvious that we need to be doing this all the time and going out immediately. But the one that there's really no description is, is how. What are we supposed to do? What does ministry look like to each of us, and all of us in t- collectively too. What does it look like? For a lot of years, we, it probably looked like one thing to us. And we got comfortable with that. We got comfortable with, um, I'll, I'm just going to use the example. For many, many years, our congregations were refuges for people coming from places of persecution. All of my ancestors and family came from places of persecution and came together to places where there was common language, common faith. We were refuges and refugees. And that was ministry. That is ministry. That's what we were called to. And we do that and did that very, very well. Well, the refugees aren't coming from Yugoslavia, and I know that, I guess the Swiss didn't really come as refugees necessarily, but we're, we're still thankful they all did. But they're not coming, culturally, we're not coming from those kind of persecuted places anymore. But there are still people persecuted and people that are coming. 
but it looks different and it feels different and it sounds different. And I know for a fact, because I've talked with so many of you, we've all talked about this. We don't, we don't know the how in adjusting focus or adjusting our, our net. I just want Jesus to come and say, hey guys, cast on this side of the boat or cast on that side of the boat. We have nets. We have boats. We have water all around us and we don't know how to cast the net. We don't know. I want, I'm very specific. I want a specific time, a specific place. I want to know where to put my net. And what I was convicted by is that the how is, is kind of up to us. We're going to have nights of, of fishing where we're going to cast and we're not going to have something come back in the boat. But by stirring the water, by throwing our nets out, I mean, I've given so many analogies at this point, but doing the next thing that God lays on our heart is the thing we need to do. I'm so excited for some of the discussions that have happened in the last couple of weeks of, of activities that we, we can do and things that we can do around here to make this building more noticeable in the neighborhood. I know I have this struggle that where I go, you know, it says go. So I'm, not, I'm supposed to go somewhere. And going from Westmont Road to Ball Road is not the go that I think he really had in mind. But I also know that we are who we are and we are raised the way we are and we are conditioned the way that we were and we've been taught the way that we've been taught. And those are good attributes. The things that we have, the things that we have learned and that we have accumulated is a bad thing. The, the knowledge and the experience that we've accumulated is a good thing. And I'm not saying that we throw those things away. I'm saying that those are the things we need to take and try to share with those around us in a different way, in more ways. I don't have any fear that we're, we're going to lose something because we are real good at protecting things. But my hope is that just by simply exposing ourselves to our neighbors around us can have a, a bigger effect on the neighborhood. And that sounds so simple. Even as these things are coming out of my mouth, I, I go, my goodness, like how, how is this some big revelation? The revelation to me was how much fear I read in Mark 16 was in the disciples' heart. The revelation was that that same level of fear is something that is in my heart way too often. I can tell people... You know, folks will say, sorry, I don't have a clock up here. I, I'm not sure where I'm at. Um, folks will say, aren't you fearful about your, you know, what they're teaching in schools and how everything's going and, you know, society is just, just falling apart at the seams. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the podcast I listened to, we talked about, a lot about that. And believe me, I'm well acquainted with how bad things are. But what Jesus was telling his disciples was, it's, yeah, it's bad around you, but you're the ones that are supposed to go and change that. You're supposed to be the ones that your heart should burn within you to share of the hope that lies within you. It might be hopeless out there, but he arose 
so that we could go out and have a hope. If I'm not hopeful, who on else who else on earth is supposed to be hopeful? If my response to every comment that comes up is and it has been very often is complaining about the government, complaining about policies, complaining about um agendas and i must use the word woke more in the course of a week than anybody does at this point why why can't i change oh boy this is why can't i change woke to hope why can't my life be more about the hope of christ in me than about my irritation with everything else that's going on around me i promise if that was my focus more often it would be significantly more attractive to the world around me The guy I know that has the most people that cling to him has always got positive things to say. You know, the only time I ever hear, it's Mr. Steve. The only time I ever hear Steve say anything negative is when I bring it up and then want to talk about it. When I want to bring up politics to talk about it or I want to get him to talk about his time in Vietnam or any of those things, boy, then I can get something out of him. Why do I try to bring him down? Otherwise, it's only positive things. We have an opportunity. No, we don't have an opportunity. We have a responsibility as those that have experienced the redemptive work of Christ in our lives, the empowering work of Christ in our lives, and get to experience it continue as we stay engrafted into the vine, as we stay with our hand in his, whatever analogy you want to use, if we stay there, we have all empowerment, all blessing, all encouragement to be lights in this world and to do so without any fear. And so the question that I have for myself this year is, am I going to do that? Am I going to, when I hear the knock at the gate, like the disciples, when they heard the knock at the door, and it's, Mary coming to say, he's alive. When I hear the knock at the door, am I going to react with hope and love and encouragement to whomever it is that comes through the other door or through the other side? And secondly, am I going to be willing, am I going to take the opportunities to step out and to share of that hope, to share of the joy that I have if I've got it, I better show it. And if I don't have it, then we better check, check where our hope is found. May the Lord bless these words.